Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 73 of the Frog Snacks podcast. I'm Snacks. Here with me, as always, is Frog. And we've got uh, we got a bunch of things to bring up. Um, mm-hmm. Some new stuff, some new games, some old games. And uh, I say we uh, dive right in because we want to fit it all in, right? Yeah, dive right in. Let's go. Okay. So, uh, first game that I want to talk about, right? is a uh, notable for only only because it is the first game that has been released by the uh, new Square Enix uh, you know in-house developer right mm-hmm. the Tokyo uh, RPG factory right Tokyo RPG factory which is a terrible name but has a cool logo and uh, has just released its first game it is called uh, I am Setsuna and uh, it, it, it came out to pretty good reviews uh, so far. I, I had my eye on it pretty closely, so I picked it up. And I got to say, the game is a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. I want to, if you're not familiar with it, it's, um, they, it's, it's a pretty old school styled JRPG, right? It's got all of the all of the uh, um, trappings. Yeah, all of the trappings of like a very specific era of '90s Square Enix, right? It's got the uh, ATB system, the active time battle. It's got um, it's it's got uh, you know the three party that with the interchangeable members. It's got the it's got it's it's got a lot of tropes, but not not like an offensive amount of tropes. It's, it's just, uh, it feels familiar, but it, they did a great job of modernizing this formula, right? Specifically, uh, this game has been compared directly to Chrono Trigger. Right. The, the ungodly masterpiece, uh, from 90 square. That's like, yep. <laughs> that's like if Square Enix was a rock band, like that's, that's the album that everybody is like, mm, well, it was, they were never quite as good as this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, Square Square Enix made quite a name for themselves quite a long time ago, and they have been doing a lot and trying to innovate, and they've just never seemed to get themselves to that level of fan hype, right? And you know, you we, you can have the whole nostalgia conversation, which we have all the time, but uh, really, they've they've been They've been tr- they're tr- doing their best to avoid stagnation, uh, but what they've done here with I Am Setsuna is taken a, a, a formula that is 20 years old and did a really good job of updating it. It looks very good. Uh, they did a great job with the um, with the abilities. The, the ability system is uh, is is complex but not convoluted. It's um, it 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 is uh, well drawn. The art style is is good. Uh, it's a little too cartoony for my taste, but it isn't bad. Um, and I think a lot of people would probably like it more than I do. Uh, but the best it's thing, player, remember? <laughs> the best thing about it, uh, easily like far and away, is the music. And this is a big deal because. One, a lot of the earlier Square titles were well known for how good their music was, thanks to Nobuo Omatsu, right? Mm-hmm. Well known is like very kindly putting it, but go on. Yeah, uh, revered, exalted, mm-hmm. 
worshipped. Yeah, worshipped for for the music of this man and and a lot of the uh, you know earlier square titles that he worked on. I don't know who the composer is for I Am Setsuna, but uh, I am not one to really dwell on the music of a video game. I I really only notice it if it's very good. I was going to say, that was going to be my point, because if you're commenting on the game's music, that's that's quite an endorsement. It really is. It, it was it was one of the first things that I noticed, and let's see here, uh, composers, uh, Tomoki Miyoshi, who I've never heard of. No, no, I don't, he might be a, uh, one of those like kind of on-the-low guys that are yeah. in between. Uh, 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 probably does clean up on a lot of titles. Uh, and this might be one of his uh, few, you know, lead role type things. Okay, it looks like the only video game that he's worked on previously that I've heard of is uh, Soul Calibur V. Interesting. Yeah, so he did Soul Calibur V and uh, a game called Majin, Majin Station? Majin Station? Probably which, Station, but yeah, which yeah, which could have been a Japan only release. Either way, um, they gave they gave basically said you're up to bat. Yeah, it's it, but he, he he nailed it. He did an excellent job of you know doing all the things that video game music is supposed to do. It's supposed to uh, pl- uh, play and a very important role in the the entire setting, whether it's battle or whether you're in town or whether you're in the world map or whatever right and it's it's uh i'm i'm very impressed with it it's 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 honestly it's beautiful i i know it's good because i am excited to get to new areas so that i can hear the music i'm like interested in wow. what the music is going to be in the new areas me saying wow is not particularly because of the comment but again because you're making the comment yeah for me that's how i look at Every single video game. Yeah, I look. I'm always want to know who did the soundtrack for a game, uh, and and it's something that I hold pretty dearly in most respects. Quick side note: uh, we did call out Mr. Uematsu, but Chrono Trigger, I am almost positive, is actually the work of Mr. Yasunori Mitsuda. Oh, it was another outrageously good uh, composer that was operating in the '90s. And actually, still today, uh, Yasunori Matsuda. Mm-hmm. The That's, God. Wow. Actually, if I also remember, I think he also worked on your beloved Xeno Saga series. He did Xeno Gears. Um, let's see if he did if he did Xeno Saga. Let me see here. Uh, oh, jeez, I don't even know. Hold on, episode one. Uh, oh god, this is such a, this is a, okay, uh, composer, uh, Yasunori Matsuda, you're right. Mm, holla at me. Wow. See what I mean? This is, this is, uh, this is Frog's this field is of expertise. Territory. Yeah. So, but, uh, again, this is, um, something that I don't normally notice unless it is, uh, outstanding, right? Something that I don't notice unless it really, really sticks out and the music does in I Am Setsuna. Um, it really pulls the whole game together. It's it's a, It feels like a game that I played a long time ago, but uh, did a great job. I, no, it's, it is notably shorter than most games of its ilk. Uh, a lot of the reviews that I read said it's about 20 to 30 hours, 
which is short for an RPG, but say honestly, I would be I'm, if I was playing it right now, I'd be pretty thankful for that. Yeah, exactly. That that's what I mean by tastefully updated. I think they did a good job with because uh, here's what here's what you need to do with a turn based RPG. Because if you just if you can get through a lot of the areas with just like mashing A or X to get through the attacks because the the um the battle system isn't uh, complex enough for you to spend time in the menu developing a strategy. Right. Uh, that that will not sustain itself for 60, 70, 80 hours. And the best thing about this game is that they spent a lot of time making the bosses difficult and making the... Uh, the, the where they have the, uh, the ability system and then you know, the gear that you have enhances the abilities in certain ways. And then there's this other, um, you know, besides the active time battle, they also have this other system in which you uh, are, are given points to spend on making the the moves more powerful in real time. So this whole, there's this, there's, it's a very multifaceted battle strategy, even though it's uh, turn-based. It's a, it's a system that they came out with in uh, Final Fantasy IV, Right? right, which is as old as you think it is. So ninety one, right? So twenty five years ago. So Jeez. yeah. So it's uh, the 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 battle system is uh, interesting to use, and they didn't they didn't dumb down the uh, you know like the the hit points of the enemies and the abilities of the enemies, uh, so that you could just cheese through a lot of it. Um, you know, there are, there are hyper powerful moves, but, um, again, it's, it's, it's complex enough for you to have to use it or it's complex enough for you to want to use it. And the, uh, the enemies are tough enough for you to have to use it as well. Um, but it That's is not definitely a mark of good design. It is. And it, and it is not a, it is not burdensome. Right. Uh, which is which is another thing because you can make it too complex or you could make the game too hard and then it becomes burdensome. But I, I, they struck a really good balance, I think, and the the composition is great. There are um, you know there are a couple of minor criticisms. It's not a ten out of ten, but uh, I'm enjoying the game thoroughly and uh, I, I'm I'm really glad I picked it up. It's a good pickup. Yeah, I mean what you're talking about is actually I think somewhat underappreciated even by under, by RPG fans. Because it's frequently talked about that over the course of your typical Japanese RPG, you become basically a god, you know, a walking god with all these outrageous abilities. Yeah. But uh, games do tend to fall into the trap of either you become so powerful that nothing's legitimately a challenge, or the battle system was designed to be so complex that every single battle from even the beginning of the game is... You know, a uh, uh, a bullet sweating, you know, experience. <laughs> right. And and games like Chrono Trigger and Pope, as we would see, I'm Setsuna, uh, are really we're really good at getting that middle ground of making you use everything in your repertoire, but not being you know annoying about it. Yeah. It. Uh, again, I'm in, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. This is a this is a difficult this is a difficult thing to nail, and I think they nailed it. I think. Uh, 
I think Square Enix and the Tokyo RPG Factory really made a statement with uh, with I Am Setsuna, and I think we all need to pay a little bit of attention to it and, and at least pay attention to what they have in store for the future because, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully I Am Setsuna sells well. It certainly got reviewed well, and I'm I'm glad I picked it up. And it's uh, it's not a $60 title either. I think it's 40 Yeah. And so. I'm happy about that because, as you said, I'm, I hope it sells well too because uh, this is, I think, one of the first tangible results of Square Enix realizing, you may remember, that they were publicly expressing uh, a lot of surprise over the success of Bravely Default here yeah. in the West in particular. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, maybe we should make RPGs again. And we're kind of like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> so... And now, shortly after that was when they set up Tokyo RPG Factory. So uh, let's hope that, as you said, this does well and they can keep keep this going because uh, there's been a lot of lamentation about the demise, quote-unquote, of a classic period square. And hopefully uh, we can, you know, kind of get a little bit of a return to form in that regard. I mean, obviously, a lot of the minds that were behind... The, the RPG greats of the 90s, uh, like Mr. Sakaguchi, the founder of Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those folks have moved on to other projects and studios, but still, if, if, you know, the, the, the DNA is still around. You can make a great game. Yeah, and, and the talent is is obviously still around, too. So Yeah, the new, the new up-and-comers, right? Yeah, definitely. So... Uh, I am Setsuna. If you get a chance, if you if if uh, your interest was piqued, uh, but you had not picked it up, I hope I uh, pushed you over the edge, and I hope that you get it because it's very good. Uh, next game I wanted to bring up came out about two weeks ago, uh, but we obviously had to talk about Pokemon Go two weeks ago uh, because it <laughs> because everything right was stopped. <laughs> the world was ceased right. But uh, in the in the quiet in the quieter corners of uh, Nintendo 3DS land, um, the new Monster Hunter came out. Monster Hunter Generations. Uh, we had an episode about Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, which was the last title that came out, and that was about a year and a half ago. That was one of our earlier episodes, and we spent a good deal amount of time talking about it. Uh, Monster Hunter. The the thing with Monster Hunter Generations is what I've seen is. The Monster Hunter community, uh, you know, really it, uh, the Monster Hunter community in the United States, in the West, uh, really coming, uh, really coming into its own. Right. This is uh, this is a game and a series that has been very popular in Japan for a very long time, but really didn't di- really didn't start to take shape until about two years ago when uh, For You started to get a lot of hype. Uh, for you came out and was a huge seller for Capcom. Was a huge seller for Nintendo. Uh, it was so it was so big. In fact, that the Cop- the Capcom booth at PAX for that year was literally just a, a tribute. Was like a was just like a, a like a Tibetan monastery for <laughs> Monster Hunter. It was, that was very well stated. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it it was a showpiece, and it was again this year at, at, at this year's PAX, but in preparation for Generations, and they had two separate demo stations set up for it. One at the Capcom booth, one at the Nintendo booth. So, Both of which were mobbed for the whole time. Oh, definitely. So, uh, Generations comes out, uh, I, d- I don't even know. How, the, the, I, I, I wish I could tell you how many hours I've put into it, but 
Uh, it is it is the uh, dictionary definition. It is the quintessential time sink. You, oh, absolutely. There is no, no question. There is no way for me to accurately gauge how much time I've spent in this game. I think that I've played it a reasonable amount of time since it's come out, but then I'll look at the, the, the clock in the 3DS, and it'll be like, you've played for 90 hours, and I'm like, how the hell did I do that? That's impossible. Uh, yeah, but Monster Hunter is, is, is a time eater. It is. It's uh, if you're if you're unfamiliar with the um, with the format, it it was uh, it has been uh, it has been replicated a little bit in Japan and tried to be replicated a little bit in the U.S. But only very recently, what with like uh, Final Fantasy Explorers and everything like that. It's it's basically a party game where you try to take down one very large, very powerful enemy, right? So it's uh, it's it's just cooperative boss fights over and over again, and uh, they they've got it down to a science over at Capcom. And Generations is the latest uh, iteration of it, and in the West, and it is uh, it it has really galvanized the community. We went to uh, me and our uh, our pal Dingus Kevin went to the launch event, which was in New York City, right by the um, the Nintendo World Store. And uh, the turnout was way bigger than I thought it was going to be. I, I, I don't know if I could accurately guess how many people came through when all was said and done. But at any given time, uh, I would say that there were 50 people at any given time. But there was a lot of turnover, a lot of people coming in, a lot of people sticking around for a little bit and then leaving and then coming in later. Uh, but there were there were about 50 people at all times for from uh, the time that it started at 6 until the time it ended, which is when the bar closed, which is in New York City, uh, something like 3 or 4 in the morning. So wow. this is a good uh, – it, it was a great turnout, I think. Now, uh, there two were, things yeah. I'll note real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, for the people that weren't paying attention to Monster Hunter, Generations is essentially the best of compilation – Right, uh, it, it's got in monsters and elements from pretty much all the rest of the games. I heard that even like from like the very first one, they went back to some to some stuff in there. Yeah, and the first Monster Hunter came out in two thousand four for the PlayStation Two, and I don't even know how robust the online capabilities of it were. I think it might have just been. It might not even have had that. I think that might have been local. It I, it probably was. Uh, so, so I think part of what made yeah, it had to be because I think. What made it big in Japan is that it was on handheld and primarily like on PSP. Right. And uh, and people were getting together. Japan is a lot more urban on average than the United States is. And people were getting together in groups and doing, you know, uh, local wireless multiplayer. But you didn't really have online as a thing until 4. And when they brought 4 over to the United States on the very, very popular 3DS, bam. Yep. Uh, the other thing I was going to know is that um, you said party game, and I just wanted to clarify for people. Party as in you gather a party of people, not party as in like Mario Party fun times. Because <laughs> Monster Hunter, while very fun, is one of the most hardcore of the hardcore games out there yeah. on any platform. And and this is really where they where they. Uh, really tried to appease the masses, right? It's still a very niche title in the West, but 
what they've done here is, uh, you know, the, the big, uh, the, the big, um, mechanics change in generations is that they've, uh, they've come up with four different styles. There are 14 weapons and there are four styles per, uh, weapon. So what, what is 14 times four? 56? Uh, sounds right. Something like that, right? There's, there's a, there's a, way more for you to learn, right? But what they've done is one of the styles is like, it's called guild style, but it's pretty much beginner style. It's like the unchanged style from the previous one. So if you don't want to like completely dive headfirst into learning a weapon, uh, to it's, it's like, you know, depths, uh, it's like mechanical depths. You can just pick guild style and just pick the weapon that you think looks the coolest. And that's the great way to start. Honestly, it really is. So uh, if you um, if, if you like Monster Hunter, you probably already have generations. But uh, if, if, something, uh, if something prevented you from getting four ultimate, maybe it was a little – it seemed a little too hardcore. Maybe you didn't have any friends who were playing it. Um, there's a great – online community and there's if you live in a big city there's likely a facebook group that does uh weekly get-togethers there's one in new york and if you live in another big city there's likely one that does something very similar and it is a great way to meet people uh you know dingus and i went to uh, this random bar in the city that we've never been to and we played with uh three or four different people um, total over the course of the night. And they were all super cool, really friendly. They all knew exactly what they were doing. They, they were clearly veterans. I mean, they were at the launch party. So, but, uh, it was, it was a good time. And I was, um, I was, uh, happy at the turnout and the experience on, on the whole. So, uh, if you're, you know, socially ambitious, uh, this is a great way for you to, uh, get into one of the many local gaming scenes that exist out there. Yeah, Monster Hunter is, to drill down into this for a little bit, uh, Monster Hunter is one of the great hopes of modern cooperative gaming, which is, I think, part of why it finally found an audience here. Because yeah. despite the fact that it's really hardcore and, and there's an, a staggering number of mechanics and different little things that you have to learn uh it's just designed first and foremost to be a great thing that you can play with friends and with people etc etc uh so it, it it really really is great as you said as a social experience yeah uh, this is the game that will be ever present at every single nerd event you can possibly think of going forward like, yeah. there's always going to be a group of people, you know, saying, all right, well, we need to go take down some Rathalos today. Like, <laughs> today is the day. You know, who's with me, you know? Yeah. Uh, what I would like to see going forward, because I did not get Generations, not because I have anything against Monster Hunter. I loved for you. But because the one sticking point for me is that your single player is required for multiplayer. Which sounds like a ridiculous thing, uh, but for me, I would like to be able to strictly play multiplayer. Like, Monster Hunter is a game that I'd be getting uh, strictly for all the cooperative gameplay and playing with people like yourself and when we go to these events and da 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 da. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to 
go and repeat all these things on my own, especially given that Monster Hunter takes forever. Yeah. So, like, when I'm in single-player mode, I have a billion other things that I'd rather be playing, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. So, I would like to see them adjust the game so that it is possible to take either route and get to the same place. Uh, as far as, like, your character and whatever, and, and uh, things that you'll need, like your farm and all that kind of stuff. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer that you should be able to, as you play more and more in whatever form, whether it's single-player or multiplayer, you will uh, unlock more of the game's content. That's how I see it. That's a, that's a fair criticism. It really is. And... Again, even if even if the idea of Monster Hunter is attractive to you, there could be a lot of reasons why you would not get into it, and they're all valid reasons. Maybe you, uh, maybe maybe you don't, uh, maybe you'll miss out on an entire half of the game because you don't know anybody who plays it, and you don't like uh, you don't like pickup groups, which is totally understandable. Um, right. Maybe you. Um, don't have the time, which is more than understandable. Very understandable. You know, so there, but but it is, uh, it it is a great, it is a great social experiment. It is a great social hope for video games. Uh, it can be played, uh, it can be played over the internet. It can be played uh, in person. It is a much 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 better experience in person, I think, um, and I think that is the general consensus as well. Yeah, which is probably why they did not go hard on online from the get-go, but I think this is where you get into, I suppose, the difference between uh, Japanese development and Western development, because uh, for those folks developing primarily for Japan, you know, online is not necessarily the top of your list, because you can get away with a local-only game. I don't know if you can necessarily do it now. I think even now you probably have to have your online right in Japan, but uh, but you could get away as Capcom did with a local only game because uh, it, it's a much more densely populated country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States, uh, except for the coasts, is not right. And hell, I mean, we live in New York, and even for me, being a Long Islander, I could not get away with having uh, uh, Monster Hunter as simply a local experience. The only time I'd ever get to play it is if I hop the train to the city. So. Um, yeah, it was good to see them say, all right, well, let's get that in order and really, uh, take a, a, a real stab at the West. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, for, for you at least set the precedent of its popularity in the West and generation seems to have be, seems to be doing just, uh, just as well. I, I think that the community is, uh, just as robust as it was for the last title, if not more so, no um, and uh, so yeah, pick it up if you're if you're interested. If if all the things that we said uh, entice you and you're not scared of the cons, then uh, it's a it's a it's a great game. It really is. It, it's it's just a good game. And honestly, and don't no- be scared of the cons because if you have the time, really, to me, the only thing that should stop you from playing Monster Hunter is if you don't have the time. Uh, outside of that, the other great thing about Monster Hunter is that being a cooperative game. Uh, the community is very, very helpful. Uh, people are just interested in having people play the game. Yeah, it's it's a good community, and I think the fact that it is not a competitive game at all uh, really helps that because, you know, yeah, you can be angry at a bad teammate, but it's not like, uh, it's not like 
you lost, right? You could do it again. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's all trial and error. There's a huge learning curve. Everybody understands this. So exactly. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the other game that we wanted to talk about is a game that we've been promising ourselves that we were going to play, uh, for, I guess, I guess since it came out. Yeah. I I guess a few months now. Um, and that is, uh, our, our boy Gearbox's latest and latest title, latest new IP, Battleborn. Mm-hmm. I feel the eyes rolling already. <laughs> well, uh, he, so everybody knows the story with Battleborn. It is a game that uh, Gearbox made. That it is, uh, it is a, a hero shooter. Which at at this at this time, and even at the time of Battleborn's release, if you were to look up hero shooter in the video game dictionary, you would just see the Overwatch logo, right? Yep. And this was ultimately the, uh, I I don't, I don't want to say downfall of Battleborn because it, it does seem that Battleborn is, is at least like, uh, has at least survived, but it is, (laughs) it is majorly, majorly dwarfed by Overwatch. But, Frog and I, being the uh, you know the video game anthropologists as we are, uh, figured it was it would just be important for you know our greater cultural understanding of the video game world to play both. Now we both played the shit out of Overwatch. I'm still playing it uh, almost daily. It's uh, God, it's so good and it's so fun. It's so good, and I can't say enough good things about it. But we felt like we were uh, doing the the this burgeoning genre a disservice by not playing Battleborn. So now let's not sound too high and mighty. Let's keep it real. Oh, we the got it. We got it. was in Hundle Bundle. We got it for like cheap. We got it for cheap. $15. Yeah. I'll let your boy. And let's this, go. and this was after we balked after saying we were going to get it when it got, when it dropped down to 30 for when, for the weekend that Overwatch came out. Right. So, you know, we, we did this for like research purposes, which means we got it for the cheapest price that we could find it for, which was $15, which at this this shortly after its release is uh pr- is yeah, well, a, that's why I say I mean we can be pretty confident to say barely surviving is uh yeah is the appropriate term now in fact uh, while you talk I have to look at the steam charts Hold yeah on. look at the steam charts fine I would love to see the actual st- sales numbers for Battleborn now it it was all it was also uh eventually released on PS4 and Xbox One I believe also but we're gonna look at the steam one because so, it's steam charts. Which is pretty much just to tell you who's playing. Uh, right now, there's 1,402 people playing. Okay, how many people uh, are playing Overwatch? Is, um, <laughs> well, I guess I guess you can't find out because Overwatch the Overwatch numbers are on Overwatch a battle map. But, but let's see. Uh, to put in perspective, number one right now in Steam, which is Dota Two, has 390,000 people currently <laughs> playing. Uh, CS:GO has 265,000 people playing. Mm. Uh, so yeah, majorly dwarf. Now, if we hop over to Steam Spy, which will give us a little more um, teeth, uh, <laughs> one second, they'll give us a Steam. By the way, uh, shout out to Valve for having all these great APIs in Steam, which allows people to get all this, all this data. Like nobody would be able to get this data on any other platform. 
Right, and it's and it's great that it's not necessarily like uh, like a like an unsupported thing. I remember there being a bunch of uh, a bunch of websites out for WoW data back in the day, and it was all third party like pet project unsupported type things. But it was um, they were really helpful, you know. Well, all these things are done by people external to Valve, but the fact that they had all the data and interfaces out there so that people could say, all right, well, we're just going to take this and run with it is great. Uh, yeah. So owners, according to Steam Spy, uh, 206,384 uh, margin of error about being just shy of 12K. Okay. So, so less people... awful numbers. Over. Yeah. So less people own Battleborn than there are people playing CSGO right now. Yeah, strictly, and of course, keep in mind, this is only PC. We have obviously have no idea what any of these games sold on console, and there's good chance that it could have sold better on console, though I doubt it because they're not going to have had opportunities like Humble Bundle. Right, and uh, it the, the type of game that it is is just more conducive to PC, mouse and keyboard style play anyway. Right. So we'll go with that number. Uh, we'll go with those metrics and, and use this to project for all systems, which I know is a, a, a bad science. But that if we were to project, I feel like it would come out to charitably around <laughs> six to six fifty. Charitably. Wow. Charitably. Wow. Uh, but but yeah, it, it as far as numbers are concerned, it is a game that. Uh, you that needs charity, but <laughs> but 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 Frog and I gave it the shot. We saw it on the humble bundle. We said this is our chance. We we've been talking about it. We're gonna we're gonna play it right. The main issue is, and if you've done any research on the game, you'll know this is that the game really isn't anything like Overwatch at all. Anyway, right. The problem is is that everything in the game, almost everything in the game, can be compared to something that's in Overwatch. This is true. So, for example, the game features uh, a a very Gearbox-esque campaign. When I say Gearbox-esque, I mean there is is like uh, a very... Um, it's a it's a very specific, but it is, at least is still their loot system. Uh, there is a lot of dialogue that relies heavily on comedy and character design, and uh, just like cartoonishness, cell shading, and boss battles, and everything that you come to expect when you pick up a game like Borderlands, right? So, Battleborn has this. This is what Frog and I have been playing. Uh, we've gotten uh, one eighth. Of the way through the campaign, we have gotten one one furlong length into the into the game. Go ahead, um, sorry, but a furlong is is one eighth of a mile. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a lot of people know that. I didn't, but well, that means it's even better. Right? There's your there's your non video game related fun fact of the episode. <laughs> one furlong is one eighth of a mile. So we are one furlong into the way of the game, and uh, what did you think? I mean, it was it was. It was fun, right? Well, first observation that we both came to almost literally at the same time is that Battleborn is essentially a playable Saturday morning cartoon. Yes. 
which is probably the highest praise we can give it. I think that what they did was took all of the things that people liked the best out of um, out of Borderlands and and magnified it and made it even more cartoony, right? They kept a lot of the same art style. It's still cell shaded. But and it's but they've they've ramped up the amount of bosses. They've ramped up the amount of cinematics, and uh, the dialogue is just is just loony. It's just completely loony. The bad guys are, you know, very uh, like Handsome Jack esque, where you know you you hate them because they're the bad guy, but you also love them because they're great in their own evil way. Um, it's it's just a it's just a cartoon. There are lots of explosions. The abilities are fun and very uh, animated. Uh, it's it's if you like Borderlands, uh, this is like a, a good shot. I, yeah. I, before we oversell it, I would say that I think Borderlands ultimately ultimately executes those particular aspects better than Battleborn does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it absolutely would say that I think uh, Borderlands fans and junkies would find stuff to like in in their playthroughs of Battleborn. Right. um, Gearbox's signature is all over it. Absolutely. Is what we're trying Uh, to say. The one thing I will say is that, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm not crazy about the art style. Uh, I do recall people saying when the game first came out, man, if only it looked like the opening cutscene. And I kind of agree. Because uh, the uh, the opening cutscene is flat out a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, and I would have loved to have seen uh, the game world rendered in that kind of style because it w- it's distinct from Borderlands and from anything else you would have seen, right? Uh, not to mention that I feel like the character designs uh, look much more distinct in their cartoon form than they do in their in-game form. Like, I can pick out the details of how I feel like they were supposed to look. Right. Uh, which is not to say that the game looks bad, hardly. Uh, but I think that the style that they got in the cutscenes really is something special. I, I agree. And I, I think that there's still a few things about the character design that I would have liked to be different. Um, but it's not it's not bad. None of this say it's bad, of course. Yeah, it's it's not it's not bad. Uh, Frog and I have yet to try the the online. Well, right? I did when you oh you, you did left me. I did. I was able to do one match. How did you do? Long match. I did incursion mode, and being that I only did one, I didn't really get a great super great sense of how it works. Um, I see the MOBA elements already. Uh, given that this is basically a mode where you're supposed to get a bunch of robot minions and feed them to this giant shredder uh, to get points for your team. Okay. And uh, the other team obviously will be trying to do things. And the same thing, you'll be trying to stop them. Uh, and that particular match we played, we got stomped. <laughs> and people on our team were like, something is amiss here, which did feel that way. Because there's one guy... Um, who definitely seemed like he was way overpowered. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, the same thing. The Helix le- in-match in level-up system was absolutely present. Um, the Prace was pretty f- uh, fun and frantic. I-, I can see where it's something that people can definitely sink their teeth into. Oh, yeah. Uh, and plus, they just did uh, launch new maps the day that we got it, actually. 
So there's three maps for every mode, which is not a lot, not great, but, you know, better than two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it it does seem like they are going to be supporting this over time. So uh, everything with Battleborn, I think we're going to be kind of revisiting and refining our opinions as we go. Yeah. Uh, But so far, as you said, uh, I had a very good time playing it when we did, and I don't see any reason uh, to not play it <laughs> <laughs> yeah as a, as a matter as a matter of fact if you have time tonight after uh after my show i'm down to get get into that second uh that second mission we'll see there you have it yeah uh, so yeah we'll work that out but um yeah battleborn is, is pretty good uh i have a feeling though and we'll see what your opinion here is i'm pretty sure this is eventually going to in some form go free to play that that could be the case i mean it they're just not selling units but the game isn't bad bad it, it's just it's been it's been completely overshadowed in every in every arena by overwatch but it's 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 an unfair fight because the it's it's apples and oranges in many ways right so yeah let's talk about this so Battleborn, as we've been discussing off off the show, I we we feel is kind of a is really a victim in many ways because okay, so Overwatch and Battleborn are going to come out. We both know they're coming out in twenty sixteen. We're let's say we're in January right now. Originally, Battleborn was supposed to come out, I believe, in February, but they had to push it back. Probably you know polish it up, whatever. Now, the problem is, no matter what way you slice this. Gearbox was going to be in in a little bit of doo-doo. So if they had come out in February, they probably would have gotten some more attention. Though people would have still... The the best case scenario is if they came out in February, but even still, people would still be comparing them to Overwatch. I just feel like if they had been able to come out then, it probably would not have been as bad as it got to by the time that both games were gearing up to release in May. Uh, then, of course, what di- did happen is that both games came out in May, which clearly was a hot disaster for Gearbox, because uh, Battleborn, we can say, if we're going to talk about overall experience versus overall experience, the overall experience of playing Battleborn is fun, but not like, oh my god. But yeah. the experience of Overwatch is very much, oh my god. Yeah. Uh so there you have, unfortunately, you got dwarfed by an experience which was roundly seen as revolutionary versus pretty good. Uh, on top of the fact that the character designs for Overwatch, partly on the back of Blizzard's masterful uh, CG animation, really took off with fans. Yeah. So you had all that going. Plus the fact, let's be honest, it's Blizzard. They were going to win. Or even if the games were exactly the same, they were going to win on Blizzard's name alone. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, so they were in a rock and hard place there. So then I thought to myself, well, what if you released? Let's let's say they waited out the initial hype bonanza of Overwatch and came out like in the summer, right? Mm-hmm. Still bad because then you definitely now Overwatch is out and established as god tier, and now you have to go up against that. As you said before, even though the games ultimately are very, very different, uh, you still end up having 
the crazy comparisons, and then you come out with a pretty good game, and people are still going to shit on you. Yeah, and it, it, there's really there's really no precedent for it because I can't say like, all right, you take like a. Uh, like an obvious ripoff, right? Something that comes out that it is supposed to be uh, like a like a god killer type of game, right? You right. get you get PlayStation All Stars, right? Yeah. Which which is uh, which was the Sony version of Super Smash Brothers, right? Uh, it did it didn't do well. Uh, I don't even think they came out with a sequel. Hell no. And you know it was like this this genre had already been established and dominated and that's it nobody is nobody is infringing upon super smash brothers uh you had uh the driver series right and the mafia series and the um the yakuza series which all changed from their uh, you know initial iterations to something that tried to resemble grand theft auto grand theft auto could announce grand theft auto 6 tomorrow and the and the world would stop it would it would just be oh my god grand theft auto 6 we need to know all about it uh what city is it going to be who's the main guy what's the deal it's going to be great it's going to sell a ton of copies rockstar has this like gritty sandbox uh cinematic narrative uh free-for-all shooter with this newfangled online mode, which is very popular, Unlock. Nobody is infringing upon this. So this right. here, we have something that is just as different as it is similar, wherein the games can only be compared to each other because nothing like Battleborn exists and nothing like Overwatch exists. So people are taking the lowest common denominator, which is the fact that there's a shooter and the fact that it, all of the characters are you know like very different and the main focus of the game and the abilities of which are the main focus of the game and they are saying these games are the same because it is a hero shooter and if you have played both games you know that there's that's not a really good leg to stand on it's a bad like, entirely bad leg to stand on right so is battleborn just as good as overwatch no is Battleborn a cheap ripoff of 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 Overwatch? Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. So it's it's really unfair, and I think that until we this is this is why we wanted to play it because we're at this in, we're at this this fledgling state of uh, we are we are at like the like the the rapid expansion of the Big Bang of hero shooters and. Overwatch is going one way and going to form one galaxy and Battleborn is going the other way and going to form another galaxy. And they're going to look completely different and they are going to have completely different species and completely different orbits and completely different uh, space-time calculations and everything is going to be different about them once we are, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years away from this moment, right? The, the spring of 2016 when both of these games were released. And, but for now... The Big Bang just happened, and these two entities, these two specks of space dust, are too close for anybody to say uh, that they are really all that different from one another. And, Pretty much. And so herein lies the the issue. Will Will Battleborn get support? Yes. Will other games take the Battleborn system and make? 
a game kind of similar and kind of different and kind of branch off in that direction, hopefully. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really worth noting. Like we, we just can't emphasize this enough that they are so different on so many levels. Yeah. Now, one thing I will say is that I'm curious to see, and I hate to be the guy that even brings this up because I usually can't stand the people who are like, (laughs) Oh, just go make Borderlands three and stop this shit. Right. Uh, but given that they've made this game, I'm very curious to see what ideas that they've used or maybe didn't get to use make their way into the eventual next Borderlands game. Are you uh, saying that you think that there would have been elements of Battleborn that they would have like maybe maybe like copied or at least referenced in the next Borderlands game? More than that, I would say we may see a scenario, depending on how long the legs of this game last, we may see a scenario similar to Capcom with uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken, right? So Street Fighter Cross Tekken, big deal game, super hyped, came out, and because of all the various controversies, uh, completely failed. Yep. So you'll notice that they used a lot of those like stage and art assets and brought them into Ultimate Street, uh, Ultra Street Fighter 4. Uh, I was like, clever. So you don't completely lose uh, the work that was done on that game that failed. So I wonder if something similar does not occur with Borderlands 3, where maybe they don't use exactly the same characters and things like that, but they take some of the gameplay ideas, skeletons, etc., etc., that was used for Battleborn and bring that over into Borderlands 3. Who knows? That's an interesting thought. Um, now, of course, even Borderlands versus Battleborn are two different games, but given that they make both, I mean, especially given that they're going to want to evolve the Borderlands formula some, uh, Borderlands would be a pretty interesting uh, candidate to me to become a hero shooter, especially given that they know, as they've said, we've been to the Inside Gearbox panel every year at PAX, and they always talk about how people are starved for Borderlands content and we can't give it to them fast enough. Uh, one way you address that is, let's say, have a game where you can play the whole game as one of 27 heroes mm-hmm. and they all have different abilities. Well, now you have virtually endless replayability right there. That takes some of the pressure off them. Yeah, that makes sense. It it, it seems more likely than not only because... Uh, Gearbox hasn't worked on that many games. Right. It's done. It's done Borderlands, which it's most famous for. Uh, it did uh, Brothers in Arms. Yeah, that's how they cut their teeth. Right. Which uh, I I remember one iteration of Brothers in Arms being very popular. Uh, but this is all early two thousands, like console shooter type stuff, right? Right. And um, that's really it. I, they did. They did. They worked with... And then uh, in the high-profile Aliens failure. Yeah, and then they did uh, Duke Nukem Forever, I guess. Yep. Um, which was... Yeah, but this is all stuff that they, like... You know, I, their main focus in the in their lifetime, lifespan, has been Battleborn and Borderlands. Uh, so I think that they're... They could, they could definitely benefit more from 
fusing the two concepts in some way than not. But who knows? That's a good. That's good. That's good speculation. We shall see. So with that, we already begin. We have now opened the the parlor to tea leaves or frog. Uh oh. <laughs> Welcome. You're like you uh you like move away the like bead the like beads. Yeah, okay. we, you parted the bead curtain. Yeah, and you're like, welcome to <laughs> to Frog's Tea Parlor. Have a seat. Uh, if only you'd played Persona 4, because I was going to compare immediately. For those out there who could play Persona 4, I'm immediately thinking of the shop in the shopping district where you meet this old lady who in the daytime is running a somewhat seedy-looking item store. <laughs> and then at, if you go there at night, it turns out that she's running this little, like, basically nightclub. <laughs> and it, it's basically that even though you're just, like, clicking, uh, go inside and, and viewing the screen as, like, a one-shot screen, uh, you totally get the impression that this is a store at night where you're parting the bee curtain and walking in it is a little weird pub with like a frog that has a cigarette. It's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> Business up front, party in the back. It basically. Yeah. Basically. Uh, it's funny too because she even has like the same character model but has like this fancy outfit <laughs> at nighttime. It's hysterical. Anyway. So, yeah. Let's get to the part that I was most jazzed to talk about today, which is uh, what has started the entire industry and, and gaming commentariat uh, into a frenzy over the last two days, which is Eurogamer uh, mm-hmm. has asserted that they have enough sourcing to definitively declare that they know what the NX is. Right. And they have said that the NX is going to be, as everybody speculated, a hybrid console. It's Well, to be more accurate... Is going to be a handheld that has a base station, which will allow you to plug it in and play games on the TV. With controllers. With controllers. Uh, more interestingly, uh, the actual handheld unit will have two detachable units on either side that will give it uh, dual analog D-pad and button functionality. When I heard this, I was beyond excited. Beyond. Because, oh, sorry, one more thing that's very important to mention is the, the, what's been reported as far as the power of the console, which is for those of us that were hoping for comparable power to PS4 and Xbox One, <laughs> we can most likely sit down. Yep. Uh, because it's a, supposedly it is going to be running on NVIDIA's Tegra chip, which is what currently powers their Shield Stream console, Android console, uh, which is a pretty powerful mobile chip, but it is not going to touch anywhere near PS4, Xbox One quality, though, as everybody has stated, it's a completely different architecture than those consoles, so it's hard to even make the comparison. Uh, Also in the speculation, slightly more into unconfirmed territory, uh, the thought is possibly that Nintendo, in their development kits, have put Tegra 1 in anticipation of actually using Tegra 2, which is forthcoming in um, in the final NX build. Uh, and part of the 
logic behind this is that, oh, well, one of the reasons that they may have said we're coming out in March 2017 as opposed to late 2016 in the holiday season is to accommodate the manufacturing of these chips, which will just be hitting the market later this year. So, power-wise, it's going to absolutely be... It'll be a super powerful handheld, but definitely will not necessarily live up to the big boys, quote-unquote. But, nonetheless, this is super exciting for a bunch of reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So, first of all, hybrid console. Uh, If you are... Starting with the Nintendo fans first. If you're a fan like you and I are, this instantly means uh, end to having to buy two devices. We buy one device. All of our Nintendo love is in encased in it, right? Yep. So that right by itself, that was sold right from the get go. Uh, another reason to be excited is that we'll most likely be getting a very uh, big leap over the 3DS. The 3DS is a pretty capable piece of hardware in itself, but let's be honest, it's pretty old now. Yep. Uh, so to get something that is going to give us much richer gaming experience on the go uh, will be really, really interesting. Now let's get into the more slightly wilder aspects, right? This whole detachable controller concept... Brilliant. Uh, this is, to me, the key of where it's an exciting concept, right? So check it out. Yeah. You can detach these uh, two controller pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Assuming this is done right. This means, A, that you could theoretically set up the, the now the tablet portion as just by itself. Uh, and what, what people have reported is that each of these controller halves could operate independently. Which means that you could take your one NX portable and turn it into a mini game state multiplayer game station. Right. This is this is cool. Now the only thing that I had questions about for this mm-hmm. is like I, I totally see how this makes sense for something like uh, Smash, right? Yeah. Uh, but there are a few more. Uh, there are a few more. Uh, let's say involved titles where I'm not really sure how you would implement this. Now, this seems like uh, this is a little too wild to probably uh, exist in the realm of uh, Tea Leaves with Frog. But let's say let's say you uh, play Monster Hunter, right? Right. Let's say uh, let's say there is a way to split the screens and you have you have you have your machine and your controller and this is your system with your save file. Let's say there's a way for you to insert a micro SD into one of the controllers, uh, presumably player the second controller, right? Right. And upload your save data. Right. One of the things for um, you know one of, one of the things that people weren't that crazy about with. Uh, with the um, with Monster Hunter Generations is that it's saved to the the SD card and not the actual cartridge. But in this scenario, it makes sense because you can take the save data and bring it places, right? Right. So what if there is a micro SD slot in controllers and you don't have to bring your 
you don't have to bring your NX to your buddy's house. You just bring your you just bring your controller and put your you just put your micro SD into your controller and bring your controller over and then plug it in and all your save data is there. That's a thought, but I think what that like the mini game station uh, idea would basically be would that would have to be something that's supported by specific games and specific modes. So something like Smash, you'll imagine they're going to find a way to make it work because, of course, we know Sakurai. Sakurai is, like Mr. Kojima, uh, someone who likes to use every single possible thing that the console can do. Yep. So, but I can't imagine every game would use that. So something like a Monster Hunter Day would be like, no, you need to use the full NX unit uh, hooked up with both uh, Analog 6 and everything. That's it. Or if they really want to get fancy, they may offer some side mode where you can do that, where you can, you know, pop the controls off, but it would not be the main game. And that's what it really would be. If this would be kind of thing that that functionality is basically, I think another selling point for Nintendo to say to families in particular, Hey, you know, this is another thing you can carry with you. Uh, and if you're in a hotel room or, or whatever, it's a cute diversion for, for the kids or whatever. A game that it would work really well for is, let's say, the inevitable next new Super Mario Brothers. Exactly. Something so, that relies yeah. only on, you know, a stick or a D-pad and buttons. Yep, throw some Luigi. Yeah, throw some uh, Luigi in there for the second controller or whatever, and you're good. Exactly. Think of it, think of those two halves as being Wii remotes on their side. And in fact, if we really want to get crazy, the report didn't say this, but I would be hard-pressed, I would be surprised if they did not put gyro sensors in both sides of those control halves. Which means that you could now have that in your corner, too. Yeah, that's why. And I'd imagine gyro sensor, if they're using the same technology as in a Wii remote, that technology's old, I'm pretty sure that'd be cheap enough for them to put in there without breaking their bank. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's all kinds of things could be done there, right there. So you to have a mini game station that you can set up wherever the hell you want. Uh, now, if we forget the control has for a minute, another form of the console is now you just have a tablet, right? You could theoretically pop the control halves off and go from, you know, quote unquote Game Boy or DS mode into straight tablet mode. Yep. And I'm pretty sure... This is part of why I think that this uh, report is legit, because Nintendo is clearly not eyeing uh, the big board triple A market as something that they necessarily want a piece of. They are eyeing Apple and the App Store market. Mm-hmm. They're like, the money being made here is stupid, and we want in somehow. Uh, and this is how they, I think they may be able to do it. Because if they have, if you can take the NX's screen, which would now be in just tablet mode, and presumably the OS that they've designed is robust enough, that means they're going to go to all the App Store developers and say, hey guys, we made a tablet. Put your ish on there and go to town. See, that's some tea leaves stuff right there. I think that's what they're going to go after. Because again, you're going... If, if part of the NX is going to try to go to where fans are in the same way that their mobile initiative is, right? Right. This is one way to do it. 
they're going to use things like the game station and the hybrid nature and, and be able to plug at home to say to people, hey, you want this device. But to really nail it home and to really start selling games and such, they're going to uh, really push the tablet aspect as well. Not to mention, who knows how far they could go. We still don't know for sure. The report suggests that it's going to be a custom Nintendo OS, which is most likely the case. But if they decide to go with an Android-based OS, that means they could literally have a tablet. It could literally be a miniature tablet. And then you can do all sorts of, you know, they can advertise as having all sorts of ancillary non-gaming functions. Which, again, all this is adding to the potential value of the product. Nintendo's problem with the Wii U is that it was a crappy value-add proposition for most consumers. Unless you are a drooling fanboy like we are. <laughs> right. But if the NX is as suggested, I'm seeing plenty of ways they can easily market this as, hey guys, all of you should have this. Uh, as far as it plugged up to the TV... Who knows what'll happen there? There's a lot of speculation there, and honestly, that's the part is that's the murkiest part of the whole thing. Uh, but just its potential as a a miniature device that you can have going around with you. I'm imagining it's going to be about. I'm looking at it right now. I'm imagining the whole device is probably going to be about the size of the Wii U gamepad, maybe a little bit smaller, uh, which is big for a handheld, but Chris Kohler from Wired made the excellent point that everybody knows, and I'm sure Nintendo does too, that at this point, nobody's using a 3DS or whatever as the five-minute time killer. Right. Uh, the five-minute time killer is you on your phone playing some stupid game or on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. So instead of Nintendo's uh, screaming for ultimate pocket portability... They'll say, well, let's make it a little bigger and make sure we deliver the rich experience. Is any of this true? Who knows? But what I read yesterday, and as, as my gears started turning, I thought that uh, I really think that report is legit. Because everything I'm hearing off of that concept sounds like it would play absolutely to both Nintendo's priorities as we understand them to be. Uh, and to what they need to be doing to kind of reorient themselves in the current marketplace. So what do you think of that? Hey, all of that makes great sense to me. I, I think one of the reasons why we're taking this report so seriously is because we're getting so close to the release when you think about it. Right. And everything that we've, all the, all the speculation that we've heard leading up to this report kind of makes it, it's not like they came out and they were like everything you thought about the NX is wrong it's actually gonna, <laughs> it's actually going to be a refrigerator with a screen in it like it's this is this sounds kind of like what everything was leading up to and yeah everything seems to be all roads seem to be leading here yeah so uh i mean yeah it it it, it makes sense and i mean everyone's hype levels are increasing uh Obviously, you still have the the you know the Nintendo you know Oracle Doomsayers who are you know um, you know hanging out the you know they're they're hanging out at the mountaintop with their cult and they're like uh, you know <laughs> waiting for the UFO to come and just take them because they're pretty sure Nintendo's done and uh, they can't understand why 
they're still around and they're just, uh, you know, they're, uh, they got out their mind calendars and they're like, this is it. The, uh, <laughs> the rapture is here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, you, got, you know what? You, I would get, so two more things. One, I would gear up for a lot more of that talk. Oh, there's so much of it already. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more because if these reports are correct, and given what we've just been talking about, what seems to be the case is that Nintendo is really and truly, they've been saying for years, we're trying to do something different. Uh, but if, if the reports are true, they really will be doing something totally different from the other two console manufacturers. Yep. Uh, and so... Most people cannot wrap their mind around the idea that that might be a legitimate strategy. So, especially because, let's be honest, Nintendo bungled it this far. Uh, so, if this comes out, you know, people will already be screaming, oh, their end is near. Uh, but the other thing I was going to say is that all of that stuff we just said is putting aside the fact that this is Nintendo's one true machine, right? The biggest, above all that other stuff I said, the biggest thing that excites me as a fan is the fact that now I'm going to be able to have all of Nintendo's outrageous output on one device, which I can put to my TV, which means hopefully we're getting Monster Hunter on a TV suit in in short order. Uh, And this means uh, all sorts of doors are opening the next Mario and Luigi game will finally be able to be something I can sit and experience on my nice big screen TV, right? Yeah. Uh, Pokemon will be outrageous the next cycle. Stop. Poke- I don't even need to say anymore. Pokemon's already outrageous. It's already outrageous, but es- especially if they have it where you're going to be able to play both on the go and on your TV at home, forget it. And let me throw one last wrinkle in there. Yep. Uh, given that we know how big Pokemon Go got with the as an augmented reality GPS-based experience, there's nothing stopping Nintendo from putting cameras and GPS inside the NX tablet portion. Can you only imagine what kind of stuff they can come up with if they do that? Frog, I gotta be honest with you, that just blew my mind. Listen... The the pos- that's why I'm so excited because that simple configuration literally has endless possibilities. Wow. Well, shit. I hope everybody enjoyed their tea. Their nice hot tea. I gave you that. This this was like the special edition tea. Oh my god. Wow. I, dude. Had to like I didn't even roll think up the special curtain and show you the, the secret tea for this one. <laughs> You're like this tea's not even legal yet. Yeah, this, this tea isn't even out in ten countries yet. Yeah, you're like this is still going. This is still undergoing FDA inspection. This tea is under embargo in some countries. <laughs> okay, that's the tea oh you're having right now. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. That was uh, that was a lot to take in. I know, but uh, we're you know we're cresting. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, But we will see you guys next week. Later. Oh, wait. P.S. P.S. Check out all of our stuff on our website, frogsnacks.net. Subscribe to our our podcast on iTunes and on Spotify and Google Play and wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter at Frogsnacks and on Instagram at Frogsnacks Podcast. And now... 
I can say goodbye, and we will see you guys next week. Peace.